When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, it's another film study. It's a different, slightly, because it's video. You really... We always put out the video podcast as well as an audio version, but this is one that you really need to head on over to filmstudybaltimore.com if you're not there now and check out this video as we look really into the Ravens run game with some analytics, both video and stats to get through this. Ken, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. All right, joining us is guys who have – well, Michael's been on the show many times, and I'm not sure if Josh has he been has. yet. Okay. All right. Then you both have been here. You know how this works. Welcome, guys. You guys are the two that did all the hard work for this study. Yeah, let me before we start here, this is just an outstanding study by a couple of guys who each have a kind of a specific set of things, but you're going to get into this. And, and I think this is more than just a, a, a really good study. This is a kind of study that sets a standard for how an analytic study ought to be done. We're going to show you through this, but take the time. First of all, to watch the video if you're listening to this on a podcast, but then also there'll be a link out on the website that allows you to go to an interactive uh, tabular view of this information that is just spectacular. So, Michael Crawford, how you doing, an old friend? Doing well, doing well, guys. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's always good to talk to you guys and um, looking forward to this. Get a chance to talk a little run game, which is uh, near and dear to my heart. Yeah, great stuff. And and Josh Mastyko also has been on a show before. Josh, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. All right. Josh, still looking for a job in football at some point. And if some team doesn't hire him, they'd be crazy. So uh, hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. Uh, 
let's uh, let's start it off here, guys. So the Ravens still have one of the few upside down offenses in the entire NFL, one that really uh, gets expected points out of the run game very consistently. There are not a lot of of offenses that do that, and that's why you hear some people say, uh, you know, anytime you're throwing the ball, you're basically giving points away. And Michael, we'll start with you because you're going to take us through some of the Ravens run concepts. Uh, I'll have some questions as you do, but you got video clips for us and a whole bunch of information on the Ravens pulling that you want to share with us. And I'm just dying to hear it. Yeah. So um, I guess we'll get into kind of the overall scope of this as we go, but I've been charting the Ravens run game since 2018. Yeah. 2018. That's right. Um, Just, I didn't know like, probably nobody figured going into that season obviously Lamar had been drafted but I didn't know if he was gonna you know play or how much he was gonna play certainly didn't know he was gonna take over as a starter but just from following him in college and seeing some of the stuff that they did with him in their run game I said man it might be kind of cool to really you know dive in and and see what kind of things they do with him and then of course you know uh, once he took over as a starter that really kind of expanded and then 2019 and 2020 so um been charting every run play um during all three of those seasons. And tonight, just wanted to take a look at a couple of concepts. Um, These are um, what I categorize in kind of a real general umbrella category of option concepts, right? Where there's a read element, they're reading some defender, they're leaving some defender unblocked and are reading him to make a decision on what to do with the ball. Uh, And they also involve a puller. So uh, that for the purposes of this conversation, that was another way that I kind of bucketed things in terms of concepts that had a pulling offensive lineman, at least one, sometimes two, or did not have a pulling offensive lineman. So the did not have group we're not talking about tonight, uh, but we're going to take a look at a couple of plays from um, that option bucket that that have at least one and sometimes two pullers. Now, you mentioned the ACHEP option concept. Is is there any like common characteristic to an option concept? Now, we certainly understand the concept of a mesh point and, and going through that, but are all these all mesh plays or are there other option plays that are not mesh plays? These are all mob, because uh, there's not that many. I mean, we're only going to look at three. These are uh, option plays that involve a mesh, but not all option plays involve a mesh. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe at some point down the road, we'll get a chance to take a look at these, but uh, people might remember back to that first Steelers game towards the end of that game, I think it was in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter, they ran a series of what I call speed options. Some people, yeah, you could call it load option, but it's an option play basically, right? Where Lamar pulls the ball, uh, starts to run sort of, you know, somewhat parallel, a little bit of an angle towards the line of scrimmage and then pitched it out to a running back. Uh, I think it was Dobbins most of the time, right? So there's no mesh involved there. Um, it was just sort of him reading, um, you know, whoever his read key is to make the decision whether he should keep the ball and cut up field or whether he should pitch it to Dobbins. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. So you want to sh- take us through right on the first play here, Michael, or are there set up to do? No, I think we can jump right into it. So first play, people probably remember this. This is versus the Eagles. Um, one of Lamar's long touchdown runs this year. And this is a concept that goes by a bunch of different names. You'll see it called counter bash. You'll see it called just QB counter. Um, back in Roman's days when he was the OC of the 49ers, I think they called it uh, flow. And so what happens on this play is a couple of things. So let's start with the pullers, right? You're going to see the center, I think in this case, I mean, it'll run a couple of times. I think you're going to see the center and the left tackle pull. Um, So when they run this concept, one thing that's pretty consistent is the tackle, whether it's the left tackle or the right tackle, depending on which side they're running it to, is always going to pull. What can vary is who that other puller is. Sometimes it's the center, sometimes it's the guard. And, you know, I might pause it at one point to kind of, you know, give you a little bit more detail on, on why that is and how that changes or maybe wait till the second play. But anyway, that part can vary, but you're always going to see the tackle pull. Now, what you'll also see is the running back take a path that really goes opposite of the direction of the pullers on this play. Right. The pullers are going to the offense's right, but the running back takes a path to the offense's left. Now, there is the mesh that we talked about. You'll see he, he go in. You'll see him go into the mesh with Lamar. And what you'll also see is um, it, it can be it can be tough to see sometimes depending on the camera angle. And this is why I like to use the coach's film, because when you get that end zone angle, sometimes you get a better view at, at the read. Um, Lamar is going to be reading. You'll see this defensive end. I'll let it flip around again. All right. So 
to the side that the pullers are going away from, right? So you've got Stanley over here. Um, you've got Skura. You see 94 kind of jut up the field right there, right? So you've got 94 on that side is a guy who, you know, you're kind of looking at him and say, okay, well, what is he going to do? Is he going to come straight up the field and charge the mesh, right, where he's going to kind of take an angle directly at where, um, you know, Lamar and, and Dobbins are sort of intersecting? Or is he going to take um, uh, an angle that really chases the running back, right? So he kind of gets some whiff and he kind of goes out wide there, right? Now, if you look at the other side, the side that the pullers are going to, the right side, you'll see that that defensive end gets upfield and they're leaving him for one of the pullers, right? Mm -hmm. So the first puller who comes through is looking for that in man on the line of scrimmage, that defensive end to that side. And, you know, there's a couple different ways he could block him. He could kick him out. He could kind of seal him inside. You know, it's really dictated on kind of how the, the defensive end reacts. Um, you know, I think ideally you'd probably like to kick him out and create a seam, but you know, some, sometimes he might squeeze it a little bit and you might have to get around him and seal him in there. And then the, the play might actually bounce out a little bit. And then the second puller, uh, who comes through the tackle, he's looking for that next level defender could be a linebacker, could be a DB, you know, that, that body type can vary in today's NFL, but he's looking for that next level defender. Right. And so in this case, um, if we go back just a little bit um, to right before they snap this. Let's see if I can do it. Okay, yeah, here we go. Um, okay, and then we pause it kind of right here. So you see 55 get up the field, right? Mm -hmm. You see Skura pulling around, so he wants to block him. He, he kind of, you know, dips inside of Skura, uh, crosses his face, and so that forces Stanley to now have to account for him. So, you know, ideally, you, you kind of don't want to see, you know, that result. But, you know, credit to Graham. I think that's 55 is Graham. Yes, it's for great. Playing, for playing it the way he did. So, really, he occupies both pullers, right? And so mm -hmm. that should allow a second-level player, in, in, in this case probably 47, to have a shot at making a play on Lamar if, if Lamar yeah. does, in, in, in fact, keep the ball, which he does on this play. But, again, all of the different elements of this play – Guys get their eyes, defenders get their eyes in bad positions. Mm -hmm. So you can see the path that 47 is taking. He's getting more width, right? He's actually moving out towards Andrews. This is Andrews out here, kind of what these two, <laughs> you've got two guys kind of right on each other's back out here, right? And so you'll see once it starts to play again, 47, just continue to get that width, right? Because he sees the pullers. And so he's getting width with the pullers, but Lamar cuts it right back inside and really takes it right down the train tracks, right? Right yeah. down the hash. So uh, there's a lot of things happening on this play. Defenders have to be very disciplined with their eyes and with their keys. And what you see when you watch this play, the Ravens ran it a couple times during the year, and obviously it didn't always hit for a long touchdown run, but it was really a good play for them most of the time that they ran it. But one thing you do kind of see consistently is guys getting their eyes in the wrong place yeah. and really are in position to defend the play but, you know, get themselves out of position. And then yeah. you see the result on this play. Yeah, I, I'd like to make a couple of comments on this one in particular, because this, this one had some definitely some offensive line scoring issues with it. I, I, I see Skura leading this play with the pull, and I, I'll just call that a simple missed block there as I would score it. And he really did create a two for the price of one takeout by Graham that you mentioned that should have given them a big advantage. But Andrews also has a kind of a one for the price of two takeout on the on the uh, on the outside, where a, where Eagle got himself in, in trouble. Going back to what Orlando Brown did on the play, though, because the the two the two guys who stay put on the inside, the left guard and right guard, the left guard Bozeman does a good job of maintaining his block. No, so there's no lateral pursuit on that play. I thought the right guard did a great job. And that's Phillips in this case of pivoting and getting that actually getting a nice seal on that uh, left defensive tackle. I guess it is. And then the other thing that I talk about all the time, and he's doing a great job on this play, just doesn't have anybody to block, is look at Orlando Brown move up half a level here. He's ready to take on all comers. There just isn't one. So take a look at the play here. And, and Orlando Brown, well, I don't need to block 93. I'm ready. I'm ready. Anybody here? Nobody there. Jackson's already gone down the field. So, you know, if there had been another pursuing defensive player from the backside, I think Brown probably would have taken care of him as, as far as being a guy along the line of scrimmage. So it's, it's just, I, the Eagles ran themselves out of this play in a lot of different ways, it looks like. 
Yeah. And to your point, here's another thing. Um, yeah, I, I left this part out, but you covered it. So we talked about the pullers, but then you get the down blocks from the players that you just mentioned. So starting from the right side, typically you're going to see some kind of combination between the right tackle and the right guard mm-hmm. on this player um, who's kind of a nose shade or maybe, you know, shaded the outside shoulder of the center or inside shoulder of the guard. Too and they're going to, yeah, they're kind of going to work a double team on this guy back to this backside linebacker, number 49 in this case, right? Ideally. But like mm-hmm. you said, he 49 runs himself out of the play. And so Brown doesn't have to, when he does come off of this double team block with Phillips, there's nobody there for him to block. Um, but, you know, these down blocks are are really an important part of the play because, you know, you penetration is what could kill this play, right? Mm-hmm. And so the good thing about this is you have these angles, right? So you look at this guy who's lined up, like I said, kind of inside shoulder of Phillips. It's a great angle for Phillips to kind of make that down block with the assistance of Brown who can kind of come in and bang him on the hip and push him even further inside uh, as he works back up to the linebacker. And then um, the same thing in this case with Bozeman, right? He's got an angle to down block. Um, essentially it would be the three technique. Yeah. Kind of on his own Bozeman's outside shoulder here. Um, so you, you, you're trying to create these angles and we'll see on the next play, um, which is just a different variation of this, that sometimes I, I talked about, where the guard and the tackle will pull as opposed to the center and uh, the tackle pulling. You can see this A-gap. This is the A-gap here between uh, the center and the guard on either side of the center or guard, but particularly talking about this player on the inside shoulder of Phillips. When you have a player there on the, the side that the pullers are going to, then typically mm-hmm. the center is going to pull uh, because there's a really good angle for the guard right there, and that player is pretty tight to him, right? If he was on the opposite side, right, if he was – um, in the A-gap between Skura and Bozeman, you can still make that block, but it's a more difficult block, right? The, the defender has more space and more time mm-hmm. to try to penetrate and disrupt that play. So typically when you see them in the A-gap to the side that the pullers are going, um, you're going to see the center pull and the guard block down on this person, the right guard block down on this person. But we'll see it in the next clip how that can change. Okay, very cool stuff, Michael. I think a great explanation of that. Uh, so, so concept-wise, we're seeing the, the the left tackle and the center pull. As the league as the year went on, they did a ton of this down the stretch with the left tackle and center, or left tackle and left guard pulling at the same time. Left tackle and center. I don't remember that happening too much in the early part of the year. So you've picked kind of an interesting play. They ran it. They ran it for a touchdown. They didn't come back to this concept as often as they might have given the success. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the defensive front, right? The defensive Mm -hmm. alignment. Again, if you get a player in that a gap to the side of the pullers, then you're typically going to see the center pull as opposed to the guard. I think what teams started to do, as we all know, they all watch film, right? Uh, They're all game planning. They started to see that, Hey, if we line up in what I think this started out as what would kind of traditionally be called an overfront because the tight end was actually over here on the left side before it motioned over. So you had this, three technique player outside shoulder of the guard to the side of the tight end. Um, so you kind of had that typical over front, something that you see throughout the league. Uh, I think what teams started to do as the year went on said, Hey, we got to be careful about lining up in this front and having this shade player to the side where they might send the pullers because that guy's going to get pinned inside. So I think you started to see some deep, some, some different fronts, some adjustments that teams would make uh, as the year went on because with, with the Ravens come to the line of scrimmage, being prepared to run this either of two ways then? Yes. Okay. Yes. So so they could pull left guard, left tackle, left left tackle center, depending on what the opposing front was, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know specifically how they teach that, but uh, I've seen, you know, some college offensive line coaches who, coaches who run a similar scheme, they'll have a call, right? So when they come to the line – um, for example, Coastal Carolina, people might know because they had kind of a good year this year and they run a ton of counter um, and, and concepts like this. Their O-line coach said they had a call and they called it cargo, which meant center and guard pull. So whenever they had a player in this A-gap to the side where they wanted the pullers to go, the center would make a cargo call and that told everybody on the line, okay, hey, the center and the guard are pulling. Now, when they didn't have a player here and they had that player a gap over in the B-gap outside shoulder, of the guard to the side where the pullers were going, uh, they would make a me, you call. So the center would then tell the guard, hey, he'd say you, 
all right, you're going to go. I got to stay because there's a guy in that B gap and I don't have an angle. So I've got to stay and block him or else he's going to jet up the field and wreck this Hmm. play. So I don't know that, that the Ravens call it that, you know, obviously it's probably not the same terminology, but I imagine they have some sort of call system to make that determination. Otherwise you could lock yourself into a bad play, right. And couldn't get out. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think they probably have some sort of call system like that. So, okay. Fascinating first play. Let's go to number two here. That was a great one. All right. Number two. So this is against the Bengals, same concept, but the running back, and I believe it's JK Dobbins in this case, actually gets the ball uh, as opposed to Lamar keeping the ball and running in itself. So, We'll see it from the end zone angle. A couple different things to unpack here. So first we'll talk about the pullers. This time we'll see the left guard and the left the left tackle pull, right, as opposed to the center pulling. And when we get back, as we take it back to the end zone angle, what you should see is a player. Now I'm not here in this A gap, right, between the center and the guard, but out here in the B gap between the right guard and the right tackle. So again, whatever their call system is, I assume that they have something that when they come out and they see this alignment and they know that the pullers are going to this side, they're probably going to make some sort of call between the center and the left guard so that now the left guard knows, okay, I'm going, I'm going to pull, the center's going to stay and down block this guy who's now in the backside a gap because he's got a good angle to do that, right? He can just down block right to his his left. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you'll see, and I remember watching this play, and uh, when you look at the defensive end outside of Ronnie Stanley and you're thinking, okay, when you see this guy and how he reacts, initially you might be saying, what about his reaction tells Lamar that he should give the ball to Dobbins and the Dobbins should keep this ball? Because you see the guy get a little bit of width um, once it starts to play here. And you're like, well, if he's going to widen a little bit like that, uh, wouldn't Lamar just keep the ball uh, and, and and run to the other side? I don't really have a, a, a good answer for that because when I saw it, I kind of was thinking the same thing. I'm thinking, all right, that, that looks like the kind of read where Lamar should keep it and not necessarily give it to the running back. But when it when it it spins around to the end zone angle here, the, the only sort of assumption I made about it is if you look at the second level defenders, right, the linebackers, they look like they're flowing pretty hard over to where the pullers are going because typically linebackers are going to read pullers. And I'm thinking Lamar maybe says, all right, look, I'm probably going to be out leveraged there because those guys are flowing so hard to the side of the pullers. Yeah, 91 is getting some width, but this is J.K. Dobbins. He's going to outrun that dude to the corner. I'll take my chances with him versus um, – I don't know. I think his last name is Bledsoe, but don't don't quote me on that. So it looked like it could have been a keep read for the quarterback, but because of the width that 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 defensive end got. But, you know, we know the NFL, you hear it all the time to match up league. Right. It comes down to matchups. Okay, Mm -hmm. you got J.K. Dobbins versus, I assume, you know, a 280, 290 pound plus defensive end. Maybe we're bigger. Uh, You're probably going to take that. Who's on the end there for, for Cincinnati on this play? Is that Dawson or is that somebody else? 91, did you say? Yeah, I think his name is I think his last name is Bledsoe. I don't remember his first name. Okay. So it's Amani Bledsoe. Amani Bledsoe. Thanks, Josh. So when you look at the width that he gets, he kind of he doesn't really get that much width now that I look at it again. I had it's been a little while since I've seen this play. Doesn't really get a ton of width. Let me go back a little bit. He kind of plays that surf technique where it looks like you're on a surfboard. You kind of just stay in there with your arms out, right? Yeah. And you're really trying to kind of play halfway in between both things the running back keeping yeah. the ball and Lamar keeping the ball. But typically, you end up getting beat um, either way when you play it that way. But a lot of, a lot of, a lot of teams actually use that surf technique because they're trying to make the read cloudy for the quarterback. Mm-hmm. They don't want to give him a real defined read on what to do with the ball. So they say, if I kind of sit here and hedge a little bit, maybe that'll cause some, um, you know, some uncertainty on the part of the quarterback and uh, on the part of the quarterback. And that maybe will allow, um, you know, a teammate to, to penetrate or make a play and get into the backfield. But in that case, um, I think Lamar just kind of made a decision that, Hey, uh, JK is going to beat that guy around the corner. And then you got, um, Hold on. I don't want to jump too far ahead because it's just a little personal thing that I love. I, I'm always, as you know, as a guy who scores old line, I'm always looking for a great block. Look at this block by Willie Sneed down the field, this cut block. Oh, yeah, that's a beauty. 
thing of that is a beauty. <laughs> it's an absolute thing of beauty. Yeah. It's a it's a little bit of, it's a little bit lungy, but it's effective lungy. He he hits the guy mid thigh right where he's supposed to, knocks him right down. It's a yeah. It's just yeah. it's he it really even hits him really knee high. That's that's probably why it was so effective. That's Bates too, right? Number thirty. Yep. Yeah, no, that's an all yeah, pro you, there. You know, there's some, there's definitely some risk reward uh, yeah. with 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 a cut block, especially in open field like that. But if you mm -hmm. can, if you can get through that that thigh board, or in that case, maybe a little bit lower, um, mm -hmm. you're probably going to take that guy off his feet. And uh, I think the other thing that you could see there, um, let's see if it if it shows it just one more time before we move on. Um, typically, when you see long runs like this, you're going to see great blocks by wide receivers blocking downfield. So we talked about Snead, but watch Boykin. He's going to push his guy into the sideline, and he's yeah. just out of the play. Now, this is I, – I, I know a lot of people give me trouble about loving Miles Boykin's run blocking, but this is Boykin always keeps his feet and uses his length extraordinarily well. And on this play, you see it for, for sure that look – at, look at what he does. I mean, he's just – he's using his length entirely, keeping 22 there. That's – William Jackson. Joseph. No, William Jackson, right, of course, yeah. uh, at arm's length and, and uh, maintaining that block. But he does that so well, as well as any receiver certainly the Ravens have ever had. Yeah, I mean, say say what you want um, about his, his you know, actual receiving stats, catches and yards and that kind of thing. And look, that's a fair conversation to have. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not. But for what they do, mm -hmm. you talked about them being upside down in terms of how often they run the ball versus how often they pass it. He's a very valuable part of their run game. He's a perfect, perfect compliment to that as a as a outside receiver there. Okay, another great play. Let's let's look at number three here because we got to leave some time here for Josh. I want to go over his his stuff. Absolutely. All right. So another option concept going to initially look similar because you're going to see a mesh with the running back. You're going to see a puller this time. I believe it's the left guard, but mm -hmm. it's only one puller. And that's kind of the first place to start on this to note. And then when we flip around to the end zone angle, the other thing you'll notice is the running back's path, right? The direction that he's going. He's not going in the opposite direction of the pullers as he did with counter bash. This time he's actually following the puller, right? Same mm -hmm. direction. And so he's getting with, and I'll take it back so we can kind of see it from the end zone angle, the read and what you're sort of looking to do here. Um, so if you look at the defensive end outside, I believe this is DJ Fluker at right tackle here, mm -hmm. and you look at the end outside of him. So that guy's going to be unblocked initially. And so, and you see Bozeman, and people may say, well, wait a minute, Bozeman went right past that guy. Why is he doing that? Well, because he's the read key. This defensive end is the read key. He's unblocked by design. Yep. And so what you're you know, looking for in terms of reaction is – is he going to get with with the running back, right? Is he going to come out and actually create a scene right here? Um, and then in that case, you know, Lamar would keep the ball and follow right up behind Bozeman. Or what he does here, which is a little bit of what we saw from Graham on the other play, where he kind of splits the difference, really, right? And he kind of gets inside. He started out, I think, his first step, if we were to go back, looked like maybe he was going to try to go out with the running back, but then his next step is right back inside. So, mm -hmm. again – pretty good job by the defensive end but uh i think we'll see when it starts up again he he just whiffs yeah he didn't he, <laughs> he it looked like he was stepping for jackson and then he's he's just his angle is way off or yeah. jackson makes his angle way off one or the other it, 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 a lot of stuff to love about this play boy a lot of stuff yeah right. let's 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 run it through one more time and so like i said they're pretty close but the difference again is one puller versus two puller two pullers and then the path of the back actually following uh, mm -hmm. the, the direction of the puller this time, as opposed to going the opposite direction. Now Lamar again has, um, you know, a decision to make uh, this time he's reading the front side defensive end, as opposed to the backside defensive end, the, the defensive end to the side of the puller. And yeah, that guy gets right there. Like he's literally right. 52. He's literally right. in Lamar's face <laughs> and is in position to tackle him. But you know, Lamar's quickness, maybe a little bit of sort of last minute indecision. Uh, you see that sometimes on the defenders where they think they see what's happening, but then a running back goes by them and they're like, wait a minute, did he actually have the ball? Right. Or does Lamar still have the ball? And then, you know, that split second when you're talking about the athlete that Lamar Jackson is, that's it. That's it's all he needs. And, um, you know, there's, there's probably going to be a long run. And in this case, a touchdown uh, that comes out of it. 
Yeah, but blocking blocking the defensive end with air here really kind of accentuates the ability to account for or the requirement to account for Lamar Jackson because he's you know obviously in this case the, the defensive end would have done a much better job had he just committed to Jackson gone for Jackson's waist for the entire play and made the tackle but he didn't do either really he didn't he he was left in space and he made a wrong choice at the end of this and and uh, you know it, it, he was. Uh, we, we saw at an earlier point where you had it stopped that he'd already committed past the point where he was going to be able to make any sort of a play on Dobbins coming out of that mesh point. Yeah. And it, it, if, if he, if he's at that point and hasn't gone for Jackson's waist pretty much, then he's already lost it. And I, I, I'm not, it's not clear to me how Jackson's footwork here actually should have tricked him. or should have, should have beat him with the juke. He didn't, he didn't even give him a chance to beat him with a juke effectively. Yeah, let's let's go back and look a uh, look at that his footwork actually because that's a pretty good point. And then I know we got to move on, but now, I, I want to make one more point about Bozeman while oh, we're doing ahead. this while we're running through. It's just the other thing Bozeman on this play not only is the lead lead blocker on the pole, but he maintains his momentum very effectively. Goes to level two, doesn't find work even there, which is rare. Usually there's somebody to block by then, and he finds a level three guy to block, and it ends up being a very important block that Lamar can actually follow on that play. If he stopped looking for work, he didn't do that, and he also didn't get lungy in in level three. He maintained his feet while he made that block and was was able to create something that's very effective. It doesn't even look that good. It almost looks like he's getting caved in by I think it's Bates again. I uh, know I'm sorry, the safety again. Uh, but but he, he looks like he's getting pushed back. But it's plenty enough for Lamar to to get by and and uh, score, even though he's getting he's giving some ground there effectively in level three. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, look, we all love pancake blocks. We all love mm-hmm. to see, you know, guys on top of other guys and, you know, kind of doing the Superman thing on them. But sometimes, like you said, it's just about position, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that can be enough, particularly, again, like you said, when you've got a dynamic open field runner like Lamar Jackson. He doesn't need much. Just give him a little bit and, and he'll he'll make you right. Um, but the thing about the footwork I'll just touch on before we, we, we wrap on this part of it anyway is sometimes you'll see the quarterback take a couple of shuffles right? Mm-hmm. As he's riding this mesh out. There's no shuffle here by Lamar. It, it, it may be one, maybe one. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you see coaches teach two or whatever. So there's, so there's nothing like to your point about that footwork that could kind of deceive that defensive end. I think he just sort of overplays it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can look at these angles here. As we talked about the down blocks on the first concept, look at all these angles, right? When we talk about down blocks. You can just visually see that here. These are all being blocked on an angle. And then, you know, you have this puller now, out in space, right? Nobody from the backside of the defense. Let's see if I can just back it up a little bit. Yeah, let's see Fluker again on this play too. That's one other thing I want to say. And it's normally Orlando Brown over there, but Fluker has a good opportunity for a half level, kind of a beat the scraping player here. Yeah. So there's the combo, right, between mm-hmm. him and Phillips to get this backside linebacker, which right. he does. And watch how long he stays on this game. Oh, yeah, half a level off him. <laughs> he is with him for 15 yards. <laughs> That's a beauty. Thing of beauty. Yeah. I think that was a, that had to be a highlight block in that game because that that was that was marvelous. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. I love seeing it. Um, you know, the coaches talk about finish, and again, a finish doesn't always have to be a pancake. Yeah, that's a way mm-hmm. to finish a guy, and that's great. But riding your guy 15 yards down the field yeah. where he has no opportunity to get in on that play—that's a finish in my. Opinion. I, I'll just tell you how how often that happens. It's very rare that a guy maintains a block for even like six or seven plus yards, and a really well maintained block when you're scoring block after block after block really stands out. And that was that was a, you know, that was a one in a hundred kind of block there from uh, from from uh, uh, Fluker there. Fluker. So that's it for this, you know, this this segment of the plays. You know, obviously we have a ton more plays we could talk about, but look, mm-hmm. we've got some other cool stuff uh, that we really want to talk about, and I'll let you let you talk more about that. No, this is this is is great play, Mike. I think people are going to have so much they look at here, and we'll get back to some of the things I really liked about this at the end. But but let's let's go to Josh's stuff now, and which I also like, by the way. I don't mean to intend this as a juxtaposition <laughs> here. Uh, Josh took all the data that you. Don, you you scored every single run play from 2020, and that's what's in here, right? Not the 18 and 19 stuff so far? Correct. Okay. And Josh put it in a database. and Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. 
It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Then he appended it with certain data from other sources, which is was one of the really cool things. But tell us about it, Josh. Tell us about what you did. Well, uh, I'll start off with with this. Uh, we were just talking about how much work Mike did. Uh, there are 607 plays he watched here. Uh, so we watched three in half an hour, and he watched 200 times that. <laughs> and, um, and you know what? Michael would have taken the half hour to watch three plays when he was scoring it originally, because that's uh, just the kind of methodical guy he is. I, I'm sure he did. Uh, and a big, big shout out to him, because without him, I, I don't have this great data to work with. Uh, it's it's a great partnership because we each think the other guy does all the hard work, uh, so it works out really nicely. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so so you you touched on or, or you introduced what we have here. Uh, I scrape a bunch of information from each game, uh, mostly yards per play, who's involved, um, the down and distance, that sort of thing. Uh, I then usually I combine that with uh, a, an R package called NFL NFL Fast R. And that provides me with a, a little bit more detail in terms of expected points and expected points added and some win probability. Uh, and then this time I have all this extra information about you know number of pullers on these plays, the, the run concept they're using, uh, the direction the pullers are going. It, Mike has this insane notes column that is the most detailed. It, reading his charting is like reading a book. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't been able to finish it all. I, I haven't been able to include all the things he has in here. Uh, but I do have some of the major points, which are things like these run concepts. We, we talked about, we, we watched three option plays here. The Ravens ran 202 of them in the season, so he, he had a lot to choose from. Uh, and you can, uh, I wanted to, something you touched on uh, during Mike's segment. He you mentioned that the the left tackle and center didn't pull much early in the season, mm -hmm. uh, but that increased as the season went on. And that's actually something you can see. You can use this interface to see. Uh, so I'm just going to set this to weeks one to seven, which is through the bye week. Okay. Uh, they had a bye week in week seven. Uh, and then I'm going to set these pullers. I'm going to remove... Uh, Skura was a center for the first half, so that's 68. And it looks like Orlando Brown and Stanley both played left tackle. So if we take away all the pullers and we look at 68 plus 78 and 68 plus 79. That's all the left tackle plus center pulls in the first half of the season. Yeah. Through week and seven. We, we can see that there are a grand total of two of them. We, we Four, saw the 47 one. yards. And so it <laughs> must've been a, a, like a 50 and a minus three or a 48 and a minus one or something. Absolutely. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, so not a lot to start with. And if we, I'm going to change the filters now. I'm going to look at week eight through the end of the season. Uh, it doesn't go up very much because we also have to remember that the center changed. Macari and uh, mm -hmm. Tristan Colon Castillo played. And so I'm going to add them in as the pullers here. I'm going to say uh, 65, right? 65 plus 78 and mm -hmm. Brown 63 plus 78 because I believe Stanley only played with Skura as the center. Uh, Skura change came after. Uh, so we, we we saw about eight times as many left tackle plus center pulls in the second half of the season. They, they weren't as effective. Uh, they weren't gaining 23 yards per play, mm -hmm. uh, but they were still very good. And uh, it, it was nice of you to provide a, an easy example for me to show what, what the data could do. Cool. <laughs> um, and the, the, again, these were mostly this option play. Sometimes they ran a counter. Uh, Mike can probably tell you how they set up the counter off of the option. Uh, but that's that's one of the things that's very nice about this interface. Any fan that has something they want to look at, I, I, I want to give you the ability to control the levers, shift what you want to look at, and drill down into what you want to see. Uh, that was that was one of the, the big things. It's, a, it's extremely powerful. I want to I want to get back to that notion at the end of this and just why that is so powerful. Absolutely. Uh, so 
now let me let me go through in a little more detail. I, I wanted to get that that toy example out of the way. Um, you have standard standard statistics here. You have carries, yards, and yards per carry. That's that's something you could probably go find anywhere, mm -hmm. um, and touchdowns. I've also included success from the football football outsiders definition, which is gaining I think forty percent of yards to go on first down, sixty percent on second down, and then gaining a first down on third and fourth down. Those okay, are okay. So successful. small difference here. If they gain four yards on first and ten, that's a success, and I think that's now a failure by the FO definition. But that's cool. You you define it. You've defined it in a way that is, I think, the old football outsiders definition. That's very good. So some others define it as positive expected points on the play, which is yeah. another definition. So you, when you see that, be skeptical, ask questions, say, do you mean by positive expected points or do you mean by the FO definition, which are probably the primary two? Absolutely. And I've, I've also included that. Um, so I have I have EPA data from the aforementioned NFL FASTAR. Um, you can see EPA per play. Uh, you talked about this in the open that the Ravens are one of the few teams that have positive expected points added mm -hmm. when they're running the ball. And I mean, 0.14 is uh, a lot of expected points. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I looked the other day, there were, there were maybe six teams in the NFL that were positive and uh, the Ravens were really, I, I don't think they were the top team this year, actually. I think th this number is getting boosted by some scrambles. Um, Tennessee, maybe somebody like that was was up there. I do not. I should have written down who the six teams are. Uh, I can get back to you on that. Uh, I think Cleveland was definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you mentioned positive EPA is a different measure of success. I've included that. I don't like to call it success rate because it gets okay. gets confused with this other definition of success. But plus EPA percentage is what I've called it. So it's it's. That's interesting. So the, the football outsiders is defining things as success, probably the old football outsiders definition in part that are almost 10% more successful plays than a positive EPA percentage is. That's and correct. I, I, I wonder what's at the heart of that, but that's, that's just a fascinating kind of a little, little thing that comes out of this data. Yeah, that, that'd be a fun thing to dig into. And hopefully in the future, that's, that's an extension we could, add, I could, I could add to it is, uh, you know, you could pull out the plays maybe where mm -hmm. football outsider says it's a success, but it's negative EPA and you could, you could see them. You could look at what the differences are between them. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So, so we've talked about what, uh, how we're summarizing the data. Uh, let's, let's talk about some of the levers that, that I'd like to give you. Uh, so we, we talked about week already. You can control, um, either look at a single game. You could look at now, I don't know why you would want to do this, but you could see in the in the Bills game, the Ravens ran 32 times for 150 yards. Uh, you could see who was carrying, um, and you could see the the concepts they used. Uh, mm -hmm. I can I can tell you that the, the top five I think are option duo power inside zone and oh I don't remember the last one option power duo outside zone encounter. Uh, that, that's going to be pretty consistent throughout any game you look at. They're, they're going to run a lot of option and then a little bit less less power in duo. Uh, and then it really tails off after that, that they were really running those three concepts from what Mike charted. It's a very similar scramble number to what it was last year. It looks like it's a little bit down, both in terms of the yards per carry, which was 11 for Lamar last year. Can you can you trim that down to just Lamar's scrambles? Concept four. So if you, there's a... Uh, a lever for rusher. So I'm just going to mm -hmm. get rid of everybody and just look at Lamar here. And it, it looks like they were mostly his. I'm, I'm not sure. I think there were three others that weren't. So there, there had to be a little bit of McSorley or a little bit of uh, Huntley maybe from that Bills game. And this is one through 19 or this is yes. one through. This is, this is okay. everything still. Okay. Lamar's carries throughout the season. All right. So uh, not quite as great a, a number, but this is one thing I always like to look at is that he had 410 yards scramble and he didn't have anywhere near 410 yards of sacks allowed on the year, a uh, hundred and something probably. And he's still providing the Ravens, you know, two plus yards might've been two and a half yards per time forced not to pass. That's very cool. So you, all that's in there. You can play with it. You can find this is just a, I would spend hours with this tool playing with it. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot you can do in here. All right. So let's, you, you've, what else do you have here in terms of you've, you've given us the, uh, the columns you have. Are there other hidden columns there that you can work with or other ways you've appended this data that you just haven't put on this uh, 
um, yeah, it's, this is definitely a, a work in progress. Some okay. probably like a, a beta 0 0.7 version of something. I'll, I'll release it because it's too good to keep. Uh, there, there are definitely additions that I'd like to make here. Uh, even even just sitting here listening to Mike talk, there there are ideas that are occurring to me. Um, I, I don't know if I have any ready to pull out at the moment. They seem okay. to have all fled. But you just uh, mentioned his notes alone would be a cool thing for people to read if they could do that. Yes, F figuring out how to how to present those in a, in a readable manner would be would be one option. Uh, speaking of options, that's another thing that Mike's detailed. The the run concept is option for two hundred plays in the data set, but then he's also detailed what type of option, and mm -hmm. I haven't included anything on that yet. Uh, that would be another extension that I'd want to add in. Uh, and I, I can't, I, I don't know what, what the options are. Mike, Mike could tell you more about what types of options they're running. I think we talked about it a little bit, counter bash and uh, some of the other other plays, speed options. Um, okay. This is, there's another question I wanted to ask you, and I don't want to don't want to take you out of defining concepts or whatever, but it has to do with one of your data filters. Sure, go ahead. And, and so, okay. One of the big things I see as a problem is that I don't really like expected points models. And I've talked about this occasionally on the show before, but you, you know, having you back on, Josh, you can, we, can, we can discuss this hopefully better with, with you here. Expected win models, uh, sorry, football is played for expected wins, pure and simple. And a quarterback kneel at the end of the game is the ultimate example of that, where you're certainly giving away expected points to increase your chance of winning the game by kneeling out the clock. And most of the second half, like if you project backwards, is often run where the team ahead is trying to control pace more than they're trying to optimize points. And the team that's playing from behind is uh, allowing a disproportionate number of turnovers in the name of catching up. So you, you're, the game is played a little differently as it progresses from start to finish. And so the thing that the expected points people have done, and this is a lot of the NFL fast start people, is to have play types that they exclude. So go down to your win probability max and minimum. So if you have 100% chance to win the game at the time or, or that on a rounded basis, you really shouldn't count that play because the kneels that the Ravens did under those situations, for example, don't have as much meaning. So let's say we take out, and this is all from the Ravens' perspective, max min and max win probability. Correct, offensive win okay. probability. So let's let's look at at ninety at two to ninety five percent for some particular type of play. And I'm wondering what we have. Your kneels? Do you have your kneels in here at all, or are they just purely there, excluded? There are no kneels. Okay, but so, I also so the, seem to have broken my application, so I might have to re refresh it. Oh, I'll be. I'll, I'll get it right back up. <laughs> sure thing. Sure thing. Let's just talk theoretically about it right, right as we as we go here. Is there's kneels, and then I remember we we talked about this in in the production meeting before the show. Is there's also near kneels, and what do I mean by that? I mean there's two thirty left to go. You need one first down to not let the opponent have the ball back, but you don't need a first down because you've got a seventeen point lead or a fourteen point lead even, and so you're happy to just run the football, gain two yards. And punt if necessary after three downs. That's that's football not being played for optimal points on offense. It's it's football being played for optimal wins on offense. And so that that even though the Ravens have been fairly successful at converting first downs at the end of the game, uh, you know it's something where those plays are probably shaving some value off of their total because they're being very careful uh, with the, with the way they with the way they uh, use them. All right, so tools back here. Tools not back. Uh, so, so what's going on here is I, I changed this. I, I don't like this slider. I find it very difficult mm -hmm. to be exact. Um, I tried to add in a a box that controls the slider, mm -hmm. um, and they're interacting in a way that it is endlessly looping back and forth. Huh. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> the problems of an NFL analyst. There you go. Maybe we'll get it this time. Maybe I can type fast enough. All right. There we go. 95% win probability. Okay, so how many runs did we take out of the Ravens total by doing that? So we're at four seventy-seven with that. If we if we go there, with there the were six six hundred seven with with okay. In the now that's pretty amazing. The Ravens ran the ball one hundred and thirty times when they had greater than ninety-five percent chance to win the game. That's that's putting the game away with the run game a lot. 
20 percent of the carries or more yeah yep so uh <laughs> that's that's a, that's an exciting total you want to see that in your game and that's that's exactly what your team will show you when they when they win by the highest differential in the nfl they're, they're going to typically have a lot of those big leads. I, I, I wonder if we'd even have more from 2019 if you get that data loaded up later to see kind of what the differences are and, and if there would be even more carries that were with a higher win probability than that. But the point is that win probability has to be shaved in order for people to take out plays here. So here's one of the things I really love about this, and I want to go through three things. Um, that I think are just head and shoulders above anything I've ever seen and what make this a, a 10 out of 10 study from my, my point of view. If you're ready, Josh, we'll, we'll just go straight to that. Is there anything more you want to you show us from this? Uh, talk about? No, I'm, I'm good. Let's okay. jump into it. Okay. So I, I'll start back with what Michael did. The, the analysis is exhaustive in nature. Now, whatever you look at, if you're somebody who wants to do analytic studies, and I'd love to see more people doing them. If you if you do them, please contact me. I'd love to have you on the show, just like I had these guys on. But the the, the exhaustive nature of it is absolutely critical. There is so much individual clip showing on Twitter and in other formats that's essentially just narrative building. That somebody is saying, I'll pick the five plays that show that, you know, build the narrative the way I want it. Well, that's not what Michael did. Michael did said, hell, I'm going to look at every single play. Your, your definition of what you want to study should have the word every in it for something, whether it's every play from one game, every play from one series, every play on third down, every something. But you need to look at all of an exhaustive set of information. Michael, outstanding job to go through this just an unbelievable amount of work here for 607 plays for 2020 only. And I know you you're talking about this project as the season is going on, how much work it obviously was as you were doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a grind at various points during the season. Um, there are times when, um, as a fan, after the game, when you know it's a situation where that you just described, where they're able to put the put the game away relatively early in the fourth quarter, maybe even late in the third quarter with some wins. More more of those in twenty nineteen than twenty twenty, um, and so you're really excited about that. And then you download the play by play data, and you've got like fifty runs. Yes. <laughs> This is going to take me forever. And kind of midway through the season, you know, it kind of starts to drag on you a little bit. And, you know, sometimes I got to really um, like an old car. I got to like really crank myself to get my get myself going. But then usually once I do a couple of plays, I'll see something right like those blocks we talked about. And that'll just trigger me. And I'm like, OK, I'm in. All right, here we go. And then we're going to go and we're going to crank out the rest of the play. So, yeah, it's 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 a lot of work. But I did want to be um, exhaustive. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm certainly when it comes to posting clips on Twitter, I am certainly guilty of being a narrative builder. And anybody who knows me, uh, who's got to, to kind of know me through Twitter, knows that I'm a positivity guy. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to show positive clips, right? Does that mean that negative things don't exist? Of course not. But Twitter, look, is going to take care of that for me, right? Uh, in, a, in a way that I never could. So I don't need to focus on the negatives. I focus on the positive with, with, with the clips that I tweet. But for the purpose of this... I, you know, this was neutral, right? This wasn't about me trying to paint a picture one way or the other. This is just see what's there, observe it, capture it, um, you know, describe it and then move on, right? Play to play game again. That, that's the way to do it, Michael. And I, it's, it's so cool to see this done. But even if you're looking at just a game, I find it more powerful if you give the pluses and the minus, even from a great performance. And it may be, you know, a player has 12 great plays in a game as a defender and he has two bad ones. Go ahead and put describe the two bad ones. People are able to balance that. It's, it's not like you have to show every single play and or, or sorry, every single good play only to have your narrative be right. And and that's what I think we get from a lot of narrative builders is they're trying to pitch a shutout in terms of their play by play, you know, description of things. And we've seen a lot of a, a lot of beating on Lamar Jackson. I think recently falls into this category where. People can, it's easy to build a narrative about what's wrong with Lamar because Lamar's an unpolished, unfinished product at this point and unfinished player. Let's, let's call him properly what he is. But, but he's, he's a, 
he's so good at so many things, and he impacts the game in so many ways out of outside of his own stats. I think it's really fair, or really unfair, to try and build a narrative about some particular weakness without giving the offsetting information. Because the total information is, hey, look at the Ravens' offense over the last two years. They scored 3.08 and 2.56 points per drive, and it's first and first in the NFL in 2019, and one of the highest totals in history. And the 256 was still ninth in the NFL this last year. This is a hell of a good offense, and it's a hundred percent Lamar driven. Yeah, and, and and it's the standard, like you mm-hmm. said, the, he set the standard so incredibly high that the areas of his game that um, you know are are you know still works in progress, areas where he's still improving, uh, maybe even some things that that you really could fairly call weaknesses. It's because the bar has been set so high that when people <laughs> criticize, when people do criticize those things people will swing, you know, to the polar opposite direction. Like, oh, you hate the guy. You hate him. Why is, you know, well, how come nobody says these things about Patrick Mahomes? How come it's because he set this incredible bar, right? Um, but because all of that stuff is out there, that's why I do what I do with mm-hmm. clips on Twitter. I don't need to show the negative because there's a hundred other people already doing that. Right. So if you want that, that's the great thing about Twitter. You can go to any account you <laughs> want and get whatever you want. So if you want positivity, you're going to get that from me. If you want negativity, you're probably not going to get it from me. But for the purposes of this study, I'm going to give you everything because I think that's the right way to do it. I'm not. This is not narrative driven in any way. This is just about the data. Uh, it certainly, certainly came through from that. And and success breeds negativity from all other jealous parties. So Patrick Mahomes, the big thing this this year for him was interceptable balls. You know, and and he'd thrown more than anybody in recent years and had less interceptions on those and whatnot. Patrick Mahomes' record still kind of stands for itself, unfortunately, and and uh, you know hopefully some of that will turn into actual interceptions next year, and not just be interceptable balls that were not intercepted, which he was apparently very lucky on this year. Uh, if you if you listen to the people who are who are detractors, but let me get back to what I really love about this study because I think it's important for other people that are doing this type of work. So number two of things, and again I could elicit a lot of things, is the visual representation of this. So. We're, we're going we're gonna to host this for, for a limited time. So go to the film study site. Make sure you look at the video of this because it's really worth seeing what Michael is saying. I, in fact, I, I think you probably only get about 20% of the value if you're just listening to this on a podcast in your car. And then also the other visual side is the statistical side and, and the visuality of that. You're, you're able to quickly move around numbers. Now, I know not everybody thinks in the same way that that you know you don't look at a set of numbers and immediately that evokes something with you as somebody who grew up with baseball statistics and maybe Josh Roca you'd be in a similar position you know looking at a table of numbers is very impactful to me and looking at set one and set two say of numbers yeah and I think I think the big takeaway though is that it's a ton of work that Michael and Josh did that they're sharing with everyone else yeah oh for free yeah so the that uh chart and that basically application that Josh made that he was walking you through a little bit ago is going to be on a link directly below this video over at filmstudybaltimore.com. So then you can click on there and play with it yourself. That's the, the, you can click on there and play that with that yourself. I alluded to earlier in this thing, but it's one of the most important things about this study. There's an old saying, give a troublemaker a whistle. In this case, give a skeptic the ability to slice and dice this data himself. Everything on Twitter is posted in a um, uh, deterministic way, meaning they'll show you the one way that they've sliced and diced that data and said, I took away, I took win probabilities from five to 95%. I looked at the expected points added on those plays, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, Part of me then is saying, well, what if I made it 99 instead of 95? Or how much did you take out? Or how many plays is that in total? You know, the way you get by skeptics who are doing that, and you can put me right in that category, is to give them the tools that Josh has to, to go ahead and, and look at that themselves. And you can change that probability, you know, win probability from 99 to 90. And it's, it's kind of too bad that that wasn't working on the show tonight, but it will be working because Josh makes things work. Uh, you'll be able to look at that and make those changes yourself and satisfy yourself that that's the right answer. So off the other way I can say this is that when you, when you're making decisions in football, things are expressed for the head coach in terms of a break-even probability of success. Most common one that I can point to easily is the two-point conversion charts are out there and they'll all have numbers like 0.38, 0.53, 0.45 on them. And you wonder what is that? Well, that means 
if if you're down two touchdowns and you score to come within eight, you should go for the for the two point conversion thirty eight percent of the time. That what just happens to be known because it's a pure mathematical thing, but it'll be there on the chart, and that's what that that tells him to. If you have a thirty eight percent chance or higher to to go for it to uh, to make the two point conversion. And then the coach is in the position to make that judgment. Then you do it. And so the coach is then empowered with the ability to think, well, with the set of plays that I have, do I have a 38% chance? And that's Josh Bostico. That's what you've given. Uh, you know, anybody who looks at this data is the ability to manipulate it and slice it and dice it in the way they think is right. And then be satisfied by it or draw what conclusions they want from it. And I think in terms of things that you guys will post and, and, and say about this, the skeptics will have their chance to, to go at it and, there's nothing more powerful than putting that tool in the hands of other people who are looking at your analysis. Absolutely. And I'm, you can count me as one of the skeptics too. I'm, I need things proven to me. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I built it is that I get to use it too. It's a lot of fun for me. <laughs> well, guys, just an outstanding job, 10 out of 10 in terms of how I would look at this. And as an analytic study, I'm, I've really never seen anything done any better in terms of uh, of having all the components put together. You guys really, really did something very special here, and we really appreciate you sharing it with us first on this show and, and having, uh, you know, having it uh, hosted on our site. We, or we appreciate being having the ability to host it on our site. Let's put it that way. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll speak, and I know Josh would probably chime in and, and, and feel the same way. We appreciate you guys giving us the opportunity and putting it on the site and allowing us to come on and just kind of talk a little bit about it. I mean, it's um, it's, it's just such a really, uh, great partnership because like Josh just said, he, he is a skeptic by nature. Right. And, and, um, I'm, you know, kind of a, well, it feels this way. Well, I think I saw this and I'll say, Hey Mike, no, 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 let's look at the data and let's see if it actually shows those things. And so he keeps me honest and will push me, you know, to say, Hey, okay, don't, don't, don't get lazy here. Right. Keep doing the work, keep doing the work. Let's really look and see if we can find this stuff that we think and we feel, uh, because he tells me all the time, our heads can play games on us, so can play, you know, can play tricks on it. So you gotta, you gotta go back and really look at that stuff. Um, so it's just a really good reciprocal kind of thing, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, I can't thank him enough um, because that tool that he built, like you said, it really puts it in a digestible format that people can go in. And yeah, I, hey, I love it. You know, go through there, pull the data apart, pick it apart. If you look at things, you're like, hey, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. This isn't a power. This isn't off. Yeah, hey, bring it. Let's, 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 you know, for me, it's all about that engagement and let's learn, right? Not mm -hmm. the engagement for the purposes of arguing, just to argue. Let's learn. If I'm wrong, I'll learn from that. I'll try to learn from it. Um, and maybe you can bring something to the table that I wasn't aware of. So hey, I'm, I'm all for that in terms of sharing it and giving people the opportunity to, to dissect it and kind of, you know, share their perspective about it. Outstanding job, guys. Uh, just can't say enough positive about this, and this will be one of the standards. Had some great work from Dan Reese on other things. Uh, you know, I, I I like this so much in terms of the interactivity that was added as well, and and even more of a visual nature in in, in some ways. But uh, really appreciate this. Really appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, Josh, where can people find you? Either on Twitter or where else can they find you? Uh, my my Twitter handle is at Yoshi twenty fifty two. Ed Reed Ray Lewis. Um, that's for, for now that's the only place um ken you mentioned you're going to host this application for a little bit i'm hoping to have a website up at the latest by the start of 2021 that'll have this sort of thing it'll have this application it'll have others like it um, and hopefully have some some live tracking for the 2021 season similar to what i've posted on google sheets in the past oh, very cool we'll look forward to that and uh certainly have you have you on to host to show people how to use your site we'd love to have that too um michael you're at abukari on twitter yep that's it a-b-u-k-a-r-i and um you know you'll see a variety of things out there because i'm doing a couple different things right now i'm doing the passing game um charting and so you may see just like random clips from like a week three game and think, why is he, why is he posting this? <laughs> it's because that's where I'm at in the charting process. Or you may see uh, some clips of draft prospects because I'm also kind of juggling that at the same time. So, um, you know, it may feel like there's no rhyme or reason to the stuff that, that, that appears there from any given time, but it's, it's because that's where I'm at in whatever process that I'm in. So, uh, you know, always love the engagement there and um, you can find me there pretty much all done. All right. Outstanding. Josh Stroka, anything we need to plug here on the show? Uh, I mean, 
it's early in the off season, but we still have tons of content over at filmstudybaltimore.com. So definitely play with the link below this video, but make sure, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you gave a review. That's your way of thanking us for the last season. Give us a review, rate it on iTunes or Apple's podcast, share the show. That all helps a lot as people try to find us. And we want, we want to be the number one Ravens show when people search in these podcast apps and those rating and reviews is what helps with that. Yeah, they, they certainly do. And so do the so do the numbers we've been seeing. We've seen a tremendous uptrend in numbers this year in terms of listens. Really appreciate all our listeners out there. And they're very engaged. Uh, and, and they show up on Twitter and they talk about it and they praise the show. We really appreciate that. Any any PR for that is is great. And, and uh, what you guys have done is terrific. Uh, we're in the midst of a lot of off-season content. And this is a non-specific date that this will come out on. So I don't want to talk about everything, but we're in the middle right now of recording and uh, posting the various positional reviews by 2020. We'll then have free agency. We're covering in great detail position by position, the draft, of course, and then we'll get into camp and, and what goes on with that. Lots of opportunities during this off season to get on a film study short, send me three bullet points, uh, film study 21 at verizon.net or on Twitter at film study Ravens. And I try and get you on really quickly, get that turned around, particularly if the, if the topic is timely and if it's focused something we can talk about in about 15 to 20 minutes. Josh, anything else? All right. Um, since it's baseball season, I do want to plug uh, Birdland tonight and ask people to go follow on whatever you like, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, whatever else is out there. Follow Birdland Sports. Birdland tonight is a new post-game Oriole show. So after every Oriole game, it's a 30-minute show with a bunch of Oriole bloggers and podcasters. And it'll, it's guaranteed to get more ratings than the Masson Orioles broadcast, which got canceled. There's no post-game <laughs> show for the Orioles, so you can turn on over to us every day after the Orioles game. So go like those on your favorite social media. All right. We'll do that, folks. Michael and Josh M., thanks for joining us again tonight. Really appreciate having you both on. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> At ADP, we understand the importance of building the right team and offer the data insights to help. Just as importantly, our AI technology helps you pay the team accurately. Grow stronger with ADP. HR, talent, time, and payroll. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21.